Welcome to Can, Can We, we talk, talk About this? this? I'm your host, Amberly from The Power of Birth. And I'm your producer, Rajelle from Bee Designs. And together we created this podcast to talk about women's health and the things that really matter. We have a real passion and focus on women's health and wellness and overall emphasize the importance of talking about maternal health. We chat to experts and continue sharing your stories. We're here to start the conversation, raise awareness, spread the word, call out gaps in the system and implicit biases. And we hope you learn something or even if you're just screaming yes the entire podcast. This is not a place for small talk. We're about real talk. And when we know better, we do better. And we challenge you to start this conversation elsewhere. Did you know you can find further resources on thepowerofbirth.net via the printable resources tab that includes things like a hospital bag checklist, postpartum toolbox, pelvic health information, and so much more. Don't forget while you're there to subscribe to thepowerofbirth.net for your free printable motherhood affirmations. I hope you love them as much as I do. Have you ever felt the pressure of parenting? Raising your children to be decent, well-mannered, respectful humans and everyone has an opinion. Whether they're an expert or not, from the moment you become a parent, you are bombarded with advice, and it is a lot. How do you know if you're getting it right? When you become a mother or a parent, did you realize gaps or flaws in the way that you were parented and you wanted to do better? Or maybe you haven't yet realized and you continue the cycle. Rebecca Seafi is the face behind Growing Gently Psychology in New South Wales, Australia, She's a mom of two and has a special interest in parenting support and perinatal mental health. Rebecca has worked with children and families for nearly 10 years in a range of different roles. However, after becoming a mother herself, she was confronted with a myriad of misinformation and conflicting parenting advice surrounding parenthood. I think we can all honestly relate to that. Rebecca is passionate about working with parents in regards to their mental health, well-being and parenting. And today she's here to talk to us about all things responsive parenting. Rebecca, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to have this chat. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, you're so welcome. Well, I wanted to sort of open with something a little bit different. So you're a psychologist. Can you tell us what a day looks like for you as a psychologist in your field? So I love that you asked me this question because I think I've been very intentional once I had kids about creating a day or a routine or a workplace um, that kind of ticked off all my kind of needs and was something that worked for me professionally, but it's also something that I enjoy and gives me the kind of flexibility that can work with having kids um, and like the stimulation that I kind of need. So I'll have to do a disclaimer that this is probably not like a typical day for a lot of other psychologists, but it's my own day. So I work for myself. Usually my day starts off trying to, you know, get the kids up and out the door, wrangling them into the car and trying to work towards that deadline, which I think all mothers um, are familiar with. And so once kind of that happens, I always factor in coffee and just taking a deep breath, which is a really important part. For me, I mean, the work that I do, having to kind of spend a lot of time, you know, talking with other people and help helping them regulate. And so having a little ritual where I can kind of ease into my work as a psychologist is really important for me. I work differently on, I just work two days a week at the moment and I work differently on each day, kind of a mixture between 
working from my small little clinic in Glenbrook, which is in the Blue Mountains, New South Wales, seeing clients face-to-face there. I also do a lot of telehealth and sometimes I'll do home visits. So I'll see clients in their home. So my day's kind of scattered like that. I see clients for individual therapy, um, but I have... For me, diversity and what I do is really important, you know, to keep it interesting for myself, but also so I can support people in lots of different ways. So I do see like that individual therapy clients, as I said, but I also have like a monthly meetup where um, parents in the early years of parenting can come and connect with each other, get some information about um, how to look after their own well-being or to access supports for their mental health and to kind of learn from each other and support each other in their responsive parenting journey. And then I think a big component of what I do is also kind of um, supporting other professionals, particularly psychologists in the work that they do and advocating for um, uh, parental mental health and wellbeing and supportive um, and responsive parenting that way as well. So I do what we call supervision with other psychologists and I do that individually via telehealth. And I also have some group supervisions for psychologists that are also in their early years of parenting and create a safe space where they can come together and kind of learn about how their role as psychologists intersects with their role as parent and um, how they can also um, develop their own self to support not only their own family, but then other families that they encounter in their line of work. And on top of all that face-to-face stuff, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that I squish in to as well, like report writing and note-taking and just being the social media person for my company and the marketer for my company and my own pe- own admin person at the moment too. So many hats. Yes. And all in like, what, a few days a week? Oh my goodness. That sounds hectic because you've got just a wide, like you said, a wide variety of clientele, topics, interests, and even the way that you practice and what you do. So sounds really interesting. And I find with psychologists, um, I take my hat off a lot to psychologists because there's, I would imagine there's a lot of inner work you have to do in this job to be able to be fully present to support somebody else and not have your own things come up. Yeah. And I would just say that's sort of a superpower that you'd probably learn as you go, right? (laughs) It's definitely, yeah, you learn as you go. We're all human. And so, you know, psychologists, contrary to what maybe what the stereotype might think, you know, we still have the full range of human emotions and we still struggle at times and we still you know get angry and you know still yell at our kids um because we are human Mm. and so it is a work in progress but it does mean that you know I my my accountability I'm accountable for myself which we all are I'm accountable for how I am with my children and I'm accountable for how I am with my clients and so that's just more motivation to me to look after my own mental health and well-being and mm. to create kind of like a routine that supports that, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. No, I get you. Okay, let's get into it. What exactly is responsive parenting? Yeah, so responsive parenting, I feel like this, it can be 
something that's thrown around a little bit, you know, maybe online um, or in different parenting circles, and it can be kind of have take on different meanings. Um, but when what I kind of see responsive parenting as is falling into what we call um, authoritative parenting. So psychologists usually refer to kind of four main parenting styles, um, and they're kind of umbrella terms and different parenting styles fall under each of these styles, but they all vary in terms of what we call warmth and that relationship, that nurturing aspect of the relationship that parents have with their child and demandingness or what we might think of as the boundaries that parents withhold. And so um, on kind of one end, we've got authoritarian, which is kind of like high on demandingness, but low on warmth. This is, this is kind of like the parents that are kind of like, you do as I say, and um, you just comply and just do what I want. Um, and then on the other end, there's kind of what we call permissive parenting, where it's really high on warmth and um, there's a lot of love and care and nurturing, but there's not a lot of boundaries. And the kids are kind of just left, kind of do what they want um, and find their own way and navigate their own path. Um, and then you've got what's in between, which is the authoritative, which is the responsive parenting. Now, there is another parenting style, neglectful, which is kind of low in demandingness and low in warmth. And that's why it's kind of called like neglectful, which isn't probably the best word to use. Conjures up something really negative um, that does lead to um, poor outcomes and trauma and things like that. Um, but majority of parents fall in the, the, the previous three that I mentioned. So I see responsive parenting as being that so high in warmth and, and that care and focusing on the relationship that parent has with their child. But also, you know, a responsive parent is still high in boundaries. You know, they still have boundaries there that guide children and make them feel safe. I think what I like to add to that kind of description though of responsive parenting and what kind of might set it out from maybe traditional views of what authoritative parenting is, is that as we're getting to know more about biological processes in the body, like what's happening to our nervous system and what's happening to us internally, uh, there's more acknowledgement about that kind of stuff. So when I talk about responsive parenting, it's also looking deeper to then just focusing on behaviours. So looking at the the child and the parent as more than just their behaviours and as more as what like those superficial interactions, but looking at um, connection on a, on a deeper, more biological level as well. And I think maybe a simple way of describing it would be if a parent is, um, you know, parenting responsively, they're kind of um, acknowledging and honouring and responding to the physical, mental, emotional, social, spiritual needs of their child. I think, though, what we can often miss and something that I always like to add, in addition to all of that that I've already just added, is the fact that there's an element that the parents also need to be responsive to themselves and their own needs. Um, which is hard. And if you're listening to this thinking, oh, well, I, I, I'm trying to be a responsive parent, but I can't respond to my own needs. Like, that's okay. It's, it's, a, it's a process. But um, even just acknowledging that 
um, will help you in your journey to parenting more responsibly. I love that you've added that in because I really find that when we talk about parenting styles, a lot of it comes back to how you feel. So a behavior of a child could trigger something that was already sitting there, you know, but it comes up as this explosion or, you know, go and go to your room or, you know, whatever's happening. And I find that, you know, and I, t- I totally discovered this when I became a parent of how much I am triggered by my child's behavior. <laughs> yeah. And it is really difficult sometimes dep- depending on the situation and um, what's been sort of going on behind the scenes to sort of regulate yourself to be able to recognize uh, it's not them, it's me you know, um, and that can be really hard to do, which I definitely want to touch on later. But something that popped into my mind as you were talking then was that it can be really hard to know how to parent because you have a baby, there's no manual, you've got no idea what you're doing. You're literally learning as you go. And a lot of the times what we pull from in our knowledge of parenting is how we were parented, right? I mean, a lot of parenting for me was unlearning how I was parented. And I came to this realization where I was like, these traditional methods of, you know, punishment and reward just didn't sit well with me anymore. And I could tell they only worked temporarily. It wasn't this quick fix of behavior Mm. or whatever. Um, And so I really struggled with that and feeling triggered or having things come up or finding ways to unlearn. Would you say that's why some people may be resistant to this style of parenting? I think that is probably one explanation. Right. Um, So I think that when we're, you know, so parenting is learnt, right? So we don't, we're not born knowing how to parent our children. It's something that we learn. Now, sometimes we think that we just learn it, like when we become a parent or maybe, you know, when you're expecting your child, you might pick up parenting books and and start learning, but it's not even that kind of learning that, Um, is our first exposure our first exposure is like you said the way we were parented as a as a child Um, that's really where it's at and so sometimes it can be that the way we were parented it becomes kind of can be kind of like that instinctual um, way that well it becomes instinct and we can kind of that's how we can learn but then as we get to know and like look at things on a broader level we can then maybe think and reflect on things or learn different stuff that then helps us intentionally maybe decide that we want to parent differently to the way that we were parented. Um, And then that can create a challenge because like you said, it is the unlearning of all that information over years of the experience of being parented that we do need to change. But I think then if the other thing to kind of considering why it's a bit tricky is that it's not even just about how we're parented and that um, family experience. It's the broader social experience as well. Um, And what um, I suppose in the broader society at the moment, the responsive parenting is kind of kind of becoming more common, but it's probably not the mainstream style of parenting. I was still kind of living in a quite a behavioralist uh, society and we're kind of still experiencing the the runoff effects of behaviorism into um, how we 
work with and how we relate to children. I don't know if that's something that I should go in more detail about, um, but it's it's something that's kind of come with the, come in the last 50 or 60 years. A lot of the science around the fact that we, you know, we found that we can actually shape behavior, um, which is a big discovery that we can like change someone's behavior through things like rewards and reinforcement and punishment. And that can open up many possibilities. So that was a great finding. And it's something that has brought upon great um, things in terms of nearly everything we do, you know, not just parenting, but um, the education system and learning and um, justice and uh, marketing and business. And it just overflows the contribution behaviorism has made to our society. But the thing that it's missing is the focus on things like emotions and the attachment a child has to their parent or the parent has to their child um, and the internal biological processes that go that inform behavior too. Like it's not as simple as as offering a reward mm-hmm. to get something to do to get someone someone to do something. And so that's kind of where we're sitting at the moment. It wasn't always like this. And and across cultures, it's not always like this, Um, where, you know, parents that want to parent responsibly, responsibly, sorry, are kind of going against the grain in many ways. But it's not like that in all cultures. Like sometimes that it's the norm. And if we look over time, it was the norm um, historically as well. Um, And so I think that being against the grain is hard because we're kind of designed to like conform Mm. in a way to what everyone else is doing. And we learn from other parents. Like, you know, we go out into society and watch other parents and, and even if we're not consciously aware, we're kind of like, copying or imitating how they parent so if those around us are parenting in a particular way we're more inclined to feel like that is the right way and that's what we should be doing and then that can create a struggle if we're actively choosing to parent in a different way Mm. I liked what you said there about you were sort of alluding to um, the changes in the way of parenting styles through generations and, you know, I, I have many conversations with my parents about this because, you know, I was smacked as a child. It was all very much punishment and reward as a child. And I, you know, my parents say things like, well, you know, nothing, you're, you turned out fine. And, you know, we hear that a lot. Um, and, you know, I did, I was doing the best I could. And I, I absolutely believe that they absolutely mm-hmm. were doing the best that they thought. Um, but I find it is very surface level, as you were saying, it's sort of that superficial, it, it, there was no... Um, deeper understanding of your emotions or or um, reflections of how those things affect you as a child and obviously that doesn't come out until later you don't sort of see those results right away so I find in this unlearning through each generation do you have any guidance then for parents who are trying to be better and more gentle and more responsive but struggle with this sort of conditioning around discipline and expectations of children? 
I think it's about having moments where you do pause and just let yourself just stop and reflect on what you're going to do to kind of break that break the habitual parenting responses I suppose that you might be trying to avoid and but also giving yourself the grace to be a learner and Mm. not be perfect at it and you don't need to perfect parent you don't have to perfectly parent at all but you also don't really even need to like parent to the best of your ability from day one either like it's something like you will gain skills and confidence through your own parenting experience as well so giving yourself the time to do that is also I think really important it's it's like you're learning alongside your child and even if you you know you have you know just say you have one child and then you then have another child or multiple children and it's almost like you have to then learn how to be the parent of that particular child mm-hmm. um, and so keeping that in mind can help reframe I think what your expectations of yourself are I see a lot of people that you know they've actually worked with children before having a parent I mean before having a child before becoming a parent um, you know, maybe they're teachers, maybe they're psychologists. I, I suppose I was in the same camp as well before I became a parent. You think that you, you potentially, like, you know stuff, right? Mm. So it's going to be, like, almost easier or you'll, you'll be more confident. But, you know, that knowledge doesn't always transfer to practice. Um, and I think there's lots and lots of different factors that go into why that doesn't transfer. And one of it is every child is different. And although, you know, we know that kind of like responding to the child's needs is an overall thing, how you actually do that depends on the individual needs of the child um, and also, you know, the adult involved in that situation. And so if we're truly being responsive, then it's constantly learning. You can't just master responsive parenting. Mm. I love that. I, I love saying to myself, there's no such thing as a perfect a perfect mother or a perfect parent. And I find particularly on social media, you know, obviously it depends like who you're following and stuff, but, um, you know, parenting advice will come up through social media a lot of the time. And I think, oh no, like I'm doing this wrong and maybe I should try that. Maybe that will work and maybe that will be better for them. And we put this really big expectation on ourselves to be this perfect parent and have these perfectly well-behaved obedient children and it's just not reality is mm. it it's not reality yeah. I like so that just reminds me when you said well-behaved children something you said earlier in our conversation about how like if you're at a park or something you feel like the focus is on how you're parenting like you're and how you're parenting um, how people judge your parenting is based on your child's behavior. Mm. And I feel like that is, it's something that definitely happens, but I don't know if it necessarily should. I oh, think, yeah. you know, we're de- like, we're totally too, like your, your child is its own human. And although 
like as parents, we definitely have a lot of control um, and influence, I should say, over our children, how they behave, but they are their own humans. So, you know, if your child's, you know, having a big meltdown at the park, I mean, yes, you may in some ways be responsible, you know, you may have put in a boundary or you may have mm-hmm. accidentally forgotten their favourite toy. Like, you know, as parents, we do trigger these emotions in kids. But at the same time, they are also just experiencing human emotions and that doesn't always have to reflect back on to our parenting. And I think we're living in a world which is so intolerant of what we think of as negative emotions, although they're all to me just emotions, Mm -hmm. but you know, there's emotions that are accepted in society and emotions that aren't. Um, And that's trickled down to parenting because it's like when children are having negative emotions or difficult emotions, there's all these words we place on emotions such as like anger or fear um, or disgust. We can't, because we don't accept those as a society, we don't even accept adults to, to mm-hmm. have those emotions and that's getting put onto parent, onto children and then that's in, then getting put onto parents. Mm. And parents are getting that full brunt of, of, of that. Yeah. And I, do you think because we have that sort of in our culture and in our society, this stigma around certain emotions, that that could be a possibility of why we as parents are uncomfortable when our children are having, say, a full-blown tantrum or they speak rudely to someone or they, you know, it it sort of really does come back to us. And do you think it's because we are projecting that sort of stigma onto our kids who just see emotions as just emotions, as you were saying? <laughs> yeah, I think that it it can create cycles. Yeah. So, you know, if we were not let experience difficult emotions or if we were kind of told to block those emotions off or that we'll be naughty for having those emotions, then we're going to have, we're going to quickly form that view of emotions. uh, Those emotions are bad. And so then as adults, when we experience those emotions ourselves, we're still attributing like, oh, I shouldn't be feeling angry. Mm. I shouldn't be uh, feeling nervous about this. Um, I shouldn't be worrying about this is, is something that um, often comes up. And I think that then then when we have kids, it's then not only are we not letting ourselves have the emotions, then we're not letting our kids have emotions, which is then just exacerbating that cycle again. So it does take, you know, a lot of work um, and a lot of awareness to to know about that cycle and then to like make changes Mm. to kind of stop that cycle and I think that's why there's a lot of talk in parent in responsive parenting space about um cycle breakers I think that one way that one way that word is used is stopping that cycle yeah and I think when you're when you are a cycle breaker you can make others who are a part of your cycle that cycle um, be really uncomfortable with you you know we're talking about a biological process and maybe we didn't have maybe the knowledge of the science you yeah. know when we were young to understand 
how that biological process works. But we now know things like continents mm-hmm. is outside of our awareness and it's something that we need to actually gain awareness in mm-hmm. order to gain continents. And so it's kind of putting, like it's kind of thinking that we have more control over, our child has more control over their behaviour than they actually do. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, can we talk about expectation for a bit then and, and maybe we can go into these processes you're talking about because I guess we, when we are parenting our children or seeing other children's behaviours, um, we have certain expectations as our fully developed self, right? Because mm-hmm. we know better, we have an expectation of this little person, um, whereas they're learning and experiencing these things for the first time but I guess that expectation would come from um, as in you know say that a behavior is repeated and you've tried a few different things so then and I hear this often from you know myself included like my girlfriends and I will talk about this it's not until I crack the shits that all of a sudden they start paying attention and they start obeying you know and so then we think well, I have to get angry in order for my kids to listen to me or, you know, whatever's happening at the time. Because you you start with this expectation of, oh, you know, like it's going to take some time. But like how long is this going to take? <laughs> mm. It's looking at the age of their child can be helpful, you know. There's not really, you know, we know that, for example, it's biologically normal for a baby to wake during the night I know that mm-hmm. um, might be some people might have different perspectives on that but it is biologically normal for um, children to wake in the night um, and so what how you would deal with that is different to you know and like a 10 year old or an adult how you would work with the child with that also the level of cognitive development also plays a part too. So looking at the child's individual development to inform what your like what the expectation is is particularly crucial. So yeah, looking at, you know, what's usually expected of a child this age plus what's expected of a child in terms of their what we call sometimes call as the their developmental age. So how they're presenting Mm. um, in terms of their development is important. Um, But also looking at their capacity to reach their potential at any given moment. So, you know, we all know that, you know, if we were to sit in an exam to say that we hadn't eaten, we hadn't had a good night's sleep, we um, were worrying about something massive that had happened to us, maybe we'd had, you know, a car accident or something on the way, we're going to perform worse in that exam than if we'd had a great night's sleep, we'd had a good um, meal beforehand, we hadn't had any dramas on the way to work, we didn't have any other issues running off, we'd had the time to study and we were feeling really switched on. Um, That performance, regardless of our abilities, is going to be better. So looking at that, to like transfer that to our kids it's looking at what their capacity is at any given time 
um, and looking at unmet needs in terms of what can we do to support this child to increase their capacity so that they can do things like perhaps follow an instru instruction that they you know that they can on other days. Mm. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally, it does. Um, yeah, I, I just find it interesting that uh, that through parenting you become or you can become more self-aware and reflective about and but also even seeing your child or each child as an individual themselves and how vital that is in applying parenting methods and parenting styles. Um, I wanted to ask you, how do we go about managing our own emotions when it comes to our kids? Great question. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's something that I think I'm going to start, usually I start off with kind of encouraging parents to kind of like what I said, take a deep breath, focus on your breath, focus on what you need in that moment and creating a buffer, like reduce the urgency to just jump in and respond to your kids. Mm. That's probably usually where I start. But I think I'm going to go back because – what I kind of see is when I'm working with responsive parents, when I'm talking with responsive parents who want to parent responsibly, is that they have a really high tolerance for, or at least they have the goal for responding to their child's difficult emotions. So, you know, a child has an emotion, a meltdown. You ask a parent that wants the responsibility, they can tell you that they would love to just support their child through that emotion, accept that feeling. Maybe not accept the behaviours, but accept to that feeling and make sure they feel supported and to ride out that wave. But then if you ask a parent that wants to parent responsibly, then about how they would support themselves and their own anger in response to their child's emotions or in response to having to deal with another meltdown that day, they will likely say that their goal would be to kind of stop feeling angry and to be more calm and to not have that emotion in the first place. And so we sometimes parents that want to parent responsibly place two different standards on, on like one for their kid wanting to accept their feelings but not being able to accept them in themselves. Mm. And so that's important. So when you're taking that deep breath at that time away, the goal isn't to just suck up that emotion, to stop that frustration, but it's to ride out that wave of the frustration, to look at any unmet needs and to address them in order to resolve your own emotions before you do, before you sit down and you validate your child. And it might be that before you sit down and you go, oh, this is really hard for you. Um, you, you wanted the pink cup, but you got the green cup because the pink cup was dirty. That's such a hard thing. You're feeling really upset right now. Here, have a cuddle. Before we even do that, if we're starting to be triggered by the emotions and we're starting to feel frustrated, then what we should be really saying to begin with is to ourselves, like, wow, this is a really tricky moment. Your kid is having a meltdown over something that seems so little and insignificant and is so frustrating for you as an adult particularly because you know you're behind in the washing and 
or you really want to, you just wish you could just give him the, give them the pink cup, but you know, there's so many barriers to you. You're not doing that and you're trying your best and they're still upset and that's really hard. Like talking to yourself through that and acknowledging and accepting your own feelings that go with that situation is so important Mm. before you can even get to the work of accepting your child's emotions. Mm. It's sort of like you have to have this, yeah, acknowledgement and validate yourself and then that helps you have the capacity to then Mm. do that for your child. Mm. I find a lot of the time time is a funny thing right when you're a parent you're always trying to race out the door and it always takes a hundred years you know regardless of how old your kids are I don't think that matters you're always yelling at someone at the front door to hurry up or whatever um and I find in those moments is it possible in those moments when you're late you're running out the door you're you're already heightened and frustrated and you're up there when I think about myself in in that moment it's like I didn't have the capacity in that moment to do those things. Um, I don't know. Do you have Mm. any guidance for a scenario like that? I think it would be to kind of try and be aware of kind of what emotional state you are in before you're at like 100, if that makes sense, Mm. before you're like fully into it. Um, And slowing things down before it even gets to that sense of urgency and some of these things like you know the deep breathing like okay so when I say about taking the breath and that it's not like you know fully like it might look like just fully letting go of anything that you need to do in that moment and just you know just letting the kids run riot around you and just pausing not doing your stuff but it might also be like coming back to your body and what you're doing so you might still be doing stuff, but you're doing it like slowly and you're focusing on your breath. So it might be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm packing the kids' lunches. I'm doing something productive that needs to get done to get out the door. But instead of just throwing them in and then thinking in your head, like, oh my God, we need to get out the door and yelling, you're you're going to use that time to intentionally to slow down your breath and slow down your behaviors, but you're still packing the lunches because that's mm. still that needs to get done. And mm it's hard and you're not going to be perfect at it. Mm. And I think that's, that's a, maybe a take home is that you, you know, we talk about being the perfect parent and being the good enough parent. You don't need to be perfectly respond to your child all the time. Well, that also is means you don't have to be perfect at regulating your emotions all the time and be perfect at taking a breath. And it's allowing yourself that, grace to be authentic and to have that process of well I was not great at regulating today yeah and I think that that self-talk back you know after them I certainly do that a lot I'll revisit the scenario later on in the day and think oh wow I really screwed that big time I Mm. could have done a lot better and I know better um but yeah and I think you know setting intention to be better and do better regardless of how often you feel like you're failing at it. Um, that can also be really helpful because, I mean, it it is practice a lot of the time. Like we're not going to be perfectly regulated all the time and we need to 
practice self-awareness in order to be able to implement those things that you were talking about as well. So yeah, I find that reflection and repairing with yourself, you know, as well as your child, we talk about repairing with our child, but yeah, repairing within ourselves as well can be really helpful. What are some myths about responsive parenting? Let's do like myths versus facts or something. (laughs) Oh, there's so many. Okay, where should, where to start? I think, okay, one of them, no particular order. Gentle parents or responsive parents let the kids get away with everything mm. and there's no boundaries. Like I'm just thinking like scenario, child wants the I, like the iPhone, mum's phone, wanting it, wanting it, wanting it. Mum says no, puts in the boundary. Child cries, very upset. Mum goes in for the hug. To me, that is never giving in. But no. What, giving in is if mum was then to be like here's the iphone mm, okay but good example yeah i don't i still don't know if it's always that black and white because sometimes it is a little bit about trial and erroring through those moments so for example you know you're um i'm just trying to think of a, a time where i've been out and i've had to you know put my attention to another adult just say Child's running around, I want the iPad or iPhone, you know, I've said no, I could, then the child has a meltdown. Now, in that moment, I might decide that actually this isn't really worth it Mm -hmm. to push through. And so I might change my answer. Now, that could be seen as getting giving in, but what's going on in the back of my mind is, well, actually, this is a really tricky situation for us all involved, like, my attention needs to be focused on the other adult. Maybe I'm like, you know, at the doctor's surgery trying to pay for the account or organize another appointment. And then, um, you know, we might have been already waiting an hour in the waiting room. Child's um, maybe even feeling unwell. Maybe they're hungry. It's lunchtime. We've missed nap time. There's all these things that go into it. Mm. So it might be that I then am like, hmm, actually, upon reflection, this is what we need. Here's the iPhone. Yeah, that could definitely look like I'm reducing the boundary. I suppose what I would probably do better is I probably wouldn't have said no in the first place and done that reflection before answering. So then it wouldn't be rewarding some of that um, those um, maybe the behaviours that go along with that emotion. Um, but I suppose it just goes to say that you show that you don't always really know the full picture when you're observing the parent but I do think that it's never about um you know just responding to the child's needs and never putting in a boundary to avoid uh like the fallout or the emotions from that it's about lovingly putting in the boundaries and you put in the boundary and you hold the boundary but you also provide that emotional validation that goes with the hardness that is experienced by your child from that boundary. Mm. I think being aware of your own needs as well mm. in those moments yeah. is really important. Um, and yeah, like some days it's just going to happen that way, you know, and I, yeah, there's really no, I don't really see an issue in that if that's what you as a parent needed at the time to be a better parent. Yeah. Know? And I um, think ideally sure. it would be about like planning for that, and maybe not saying no and then changing and doing that earlier so that's like the long-term goal yes but I think that 
there needs to be a little bit of flexibility flexibility in the moment because that's when things tend to escalate mm-hmm. and then we become more angry and that's when our parenting might not be the parenting that we're proud of or that is aligned to our values yeah so sometimes an early exit is what is needed in that particular moment yeah definitely um do you have any other myths um i think similar that a whole idea of comfort comfort is a reward um so that warmth that goes along with holding the boundary is what responding is about not just oh you want this oh you want this yes okay yes you can do that you can want this that's moving towards more of the permissive parenting um but it's also not about like here's the boundary and you can deal with the feelings associated with that boundary by yourself Mm -hmm. yeah it's important to remember comfort is a need yeah yeah it's a way to get through dealing with the boundaries in a way Mm, I like that comfort is a need not a reward that's a good yeah I like that that's good I think the other one too is that um, probably this is something more that the gen, gen, like responsive parents put on themselves. Um, you know, when you first start parenting responsibly, you think like, am I doing this wrong? Because like my kids are still screaming. They're still melting down. They're mm. still doing kids things that are like kids. They're still stealing other kids' toys. Um, it's like, oh my goodness, I'm doing it wrong. And I think that that's a myth too, that gentle or responsively parented children are just well-behaved and regulated the whole time. Mm. Yeah, kids are still going to be kids, right? <laughs> They're still going to experiment with the toothpaste. Yes. They're still going to feel the whole spectrum of human emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that might be where some of the stigma comes from with responsive parenting, um, maybe from if you know I was to use generations before us as an example. Because, um, oh, but that it's funny, it, like, just as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, it's dumb because their methods didn't, like, their methods had the same outcomes, you know, <laughs> like kids were still stealing toys and kids were still yeah. hitting other kids or, you know, whatever. Um, so it's funny that um, I've got that little thought from com- past conversations mm. that I've had. But, yeah, like this idea of responsive parenting maybe not working because your kids are still doing those things. But, yeah, like as we've sort of been saying, like these things take time and kids are, kids are learning and, it, mm. and it's not something that they're just going to click and think, oh, I'm so regulated, I can't hit that person for stealing my toy away from me or, you know, like it, they're still going to be kids. And, yeah, mm. I think that's a really good thing to But I think what you, you were trying to maybe get at is the fact that, like, yes, if you were using lots of threats and punishments, a child would look like they're complying yes a bit more look like they might look like they're more <laughs> regulated but you know that's like often we're looking at like a child not crying or not having a meltdown when they're but then inside they could still be really struggling yeah and they're just internalizing the kids might just just decide to do it or choose to do it when their kid parents aren't looking the other thing that can happen is it shows up as another behavior you know, you know that hitting isn't okay. So then all of a sudden the kid's drawing on the walls. Mm. I mean, these things can happen for responsive parenting too. 
Um, yes. But it's, you know, sometimes if there's an unmet need, different behaviours, kids will engage in behaviours until that need met. So it might change its form, but they still need that need, need met, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's very interesting. Do you have any top responsive parenting tips? Look after your own needs as well. Mm. Yeah, I sort of like that. It's like, because I guess it's called responsive parenting and it's like glued to a parenting style. We're constantly thinking about parenting the child, but it's Mm. like you're sort of reparenting yourself in a way Mm. as you parent. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not about like ignoring your child's needs at different intervals. Mm. It's about acknowledging your own needs as well as your child's. And I think of it this way, like if you Again, if you ask responsive parent, like parents that want to parent responsibly, like what are their hopes for their child? A lot of what the parents are trying to do is help children become resilient and to like be assertive in, you know, their own needs and look after themselves and be kind humans. And they will become like that through parenting, but they also look towards their parents and look at what their parents and how their parents are relating to themselves and how, you know, if we're looking at, you know, if you want your child to be assertive, then they're going to learn that assertiveness, not just from you telling them how to be assertive, but by watching you be assertive to what your needs are um, to yourself and to other people, Mm -hmm. which is hard. Yes. And so I just maybe should say now, like if you're listening and you, this is like really hard for you because you're realising maybe that you haven't been acknowledging your own needs, it's never too late to start and it's so okay to seek out support, um, you know, whether it's from other parents or whether it's from professionals like psychologists or social workers or whatever, so you can work through this and and um, be supported to look after your own needs as well. What impact does conflicting parenting advice have on parents and how do you deal with this? Yeah, I think having conflicting advice can really knock your confidence around. Mm. I think it, it can be hard to know what to do and to make decisions and and to know if what you're doing is the best thing. And I don't think there's like, there's no clear answer as to, you know, exactly what's going to be the best way to parent or the best thing to say to your child or the best way to deal with a particular parenting situation or dilemma. Um, But I think it can be helpful if you sit down and think about what your parenting values are, you know, what type of parent you want to be, what type of child you want to raise and kind of look towards that when you're kind of considering what what parenting decision to make so thinking about like you know is this parenting decision going to bring me closer to the parent I want to be or the child I want to raise or is this going to take me away from it so I think that knowing your parenting values is a big Mm. thing but I also do think that with that it there has to be an element where you learn or you know the how to so I always yes. use the example where I knew I always wanted to parent responsibly, 
But when my child was waking, when my baby was waking, owling was hard to settle. I didn't know, like I knew I wanted to support her to settle or to sleep in a responsive way, but I didn't actually know what to do. And so, um, again, sometimes it is about like looking inwards, but also finding some trusted um, resources that you can turn to or um, for particular information and advice that is aligned to your values. And then I suppose the next step too would be, you know, experimenting with it, you know, just because you make a decision doesn't mean you need to stick to it and seeing, you know, how your child responds, how it feels for you and whether it's working or not, and then adjusting things if you need. Mm. So what about if you and your partner have different ideas about parenting? That can be really hard. How would it's you deal with really that? It's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it can be really hard. And I think it's such a common experience. Um, I think a common dynamic too is, you know, one parent wants to parent responsibly and the other one um, wants to parent the way that they were raised, which is usually the traditional authoritarian approach. Um, and so that's a really common dynamic. And I think it's, you know, it's about communication and, and talking about these things in a respectful way. So, you know, um, you know, listening to what both people want to say, um, have to say and um, talking to each other respectfully. And so sometimes couples might need support to do that. Um, and also about, you know, reflecting on what your values are. So, you know, talking to each other about what people, what um, each other want to get out of, um, or like what type of child they want to raise you know sometimes you find that you know both parents actually want the same same thing for their child but they just have different ways of doing it um, and so looking at um, kind of finding the similarities I think is important too um, to kind of strengthen that connection understanding um, and then working through those differences you know through that um clear communication and potentially looking at other sources of information um, as well. Mm. I loved what you're saying about there's no such thing as this perfect parent or perfect responsive parent or anything like that. But what can we do if we feel we aren't measuring up? Like what do realistic expectations look like here? So tricky because it's not really a concrete answer or black and white answer and I think that's what makes it hard there's not like a checklist and mm. if there is I'm sure there is a checklist online are you a good parent <laughs> it's probably not it's not helpful right to compare ourselves to yeah. these rudimentary things and rudimentary expectations and it's so variable as well um but I feel like if you feel like you're doing your best that can be a good sign um if you're being reflective if you're constantly learning from your mistakes that's also a good sign and seeking support can also be um it's such a strength as a parent to have the ability to be able to seek support as well yeah 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 I love that well, thank you so much for your time, Rebecca. This has been very insightful, <laughs> particularly for me, because I'm definitely no expert. Um, but yeah, 
such valuable um, knowledge here. And yeah, I'm really grateful for you being here. So thanks. Thanks so much. I've had a lovely time just chatting about all these things. Um, so I'm so passionate about it. And I just really hope that, you know, some parents can listen to this and, and um, you know, find validation in what they're doing um, and speak passionate to themselves in their parenting journey. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're listening and would like to share your story with us or feel compelled to talk about issues surrounding women's health, please don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. You can find us at The Power of Birth on Instagram and Facebook or on our website, thepowerofbirth.net. If you loved this episode, we would love it if you left us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and share us with your family and friends. The conversation has to start somewhere. Thank you again for listening and we hope you join us in the next episode. 